Good evening. Apologies to those of you who were logged on this morning and have now got me again. Maybe think of it like uh, the vaccine, a double dose makes it last longer. And happy new year. Uh, 2020 is done. Turned out to be a pretty eventful one as years go. Uh, hopefully, though, you still managed to find some moments of happiness and joy uh, in that year. For me, certainly the biggest event of 2020 was joyful, which was the birth of my daughter, Isabel. Um, then, actually, I was on furlough for a couple of months after that, and then I've been working from home since then. And that's actually turned out to be quite nice, because I've seen an awful lot more of her in the first nine months um, of her life than I ever saw of Ethan in his first year, my firstborn. But no matter, even if you did have moments of joy, there is no denying that for most people, the majority of the year would have involved a lot of tough moments. Perhaps you or someone you know has actually been badly affected by the virus itself. Or perhaps you've been made redundant. Or maybe a business that you've been working on for many years has been lost to lockdown. Or perhaps it's the loneliness of not being able to see friends and family. Or maybe something completely different, completely unrelated to uh, the events that have been in the headlines. What has, uh, what's the year been like? What's been tough then for you? For us, probably the toughest moment was, although I've been able to see more of the new baby, of course, our families have seen less, particularly Ruth's family who are up in the north and have really only seen her for a few days over the summer. And that's been particularly tough for having a new child and you can't meet your parents. How do you endure those moments? How do you cope when life is tough? Badly, perhaps, you might answer. And yet, you are still here today. So what is it that got you from whatever it was that was a low moment, a tough moment, to where you are today? Perhaps it was the support of your friends and family, perhaps throwing yourself into work or some other escape. Perhaps it was medical help. Perhaps it was continuous and desperate prayer. Or perhaps you knew that in the long run, whatever it was that was tough would eventually turn into something joyful and that made it worth it to stick through. Well, our passage today invites us to ask the same question of Jesus on the cross, what was it that made him endure that cross? After all, he was actually on the cross around six hours. And it's tempting to say, oh, well, he was God, so he just used his super God powers and just made it really easy. But I think that is to terribly underestimate this magnitude of the suffering that Jesus endured. Because it was not just the immense physical pain. And it was not just the emotional burden of being of all his teaching twisted and falsely accused and then being executed in public in front of his family so that evil people would get their way. It was also the spiritual weight of all of humanity's sin and rebellion as he took that upon himself. Unimaginable for six hours. What? could possibly be in your mind as you go through that? What could Jesus have been focused on so that he would endure? 
Well, it appears from our passage today that the answer is us. Hebrews 12.2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, that leads to the question, what was the joy set before Jesus? Was it the sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God in glory that the verse concludes with? Well, I would say no, because Jesus had been sitting at the right hand of the throne of God in glory since before creation, and he will be sitting there for eternity. If that was what motivated Jesus to sit in the kingdom of God in glory, then he never would have left heaven in the first place because he already had it. Jesus didn't come down to earth for glory. He came down to earth for us. In Luke 15, Jesus told the story of the lost sheep. He said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and one of them loses, loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go and hunt for the final missing sheep? And when he finds that sheep, he puts them on his shoulders and returns with joy. And he calls all his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there is rejoicing in heaven over a single sinner who is saved rather than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. So there is rejoicing in heaven over a single sinner who is saved. And yet on the cross, with every drop of blood, Jesus was paying the price for every single human's sin. Every man, woman, and child throughout all of history was being, a way was being opened for them with what Jesus was doing right there. And that was his joy. That was what filled his heart and his mind. Joy that you and I were being presented blameless to God because of what he was doing. That joy is what kept him on the cross. It's probably fanciful and a massive overreach of the text, but I can't help but imagine that as Jesus was on the cross, he is thinking, naming every single person who was going to be saved because of him on the cross. And every time a face came to his mind, it brought him joy. And that was what helped him endure. Now, whether that is true or not, I don't know. But what I am convinced of is that washing your sins clean was what gave him joy. Now, I can hear you thinking, well, I see where you're going with this, and that's all very well, but my redundancy is not bringing anyone to God. So how do I endure that? My, where is the joy in my parent who is alone and lonely in their care home and I can't visit them? How am I meant to endure that? There's no joy there. Well, there's no easy answer to questions like that. But I think this verse does give us somewhere to start. Because you see, there's a symmetry here. Just as you could say that on the cross, Jesus was fixing his eyes on us, his bride, his joy. And that was what helped him endure it. So we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, for he is our joy. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. So the angels declared, and so we sang just a week ago. 
Do you know that joy? Is it real to you? Is it tangible? Does the joy of the Lord dwell within you? Perhaps the shine of Christmas made it believable, but now in the cold light of a new year, you're looking ahead and that joy has drained away. But I think it's important then to ask ourselves the question, do we really understand what joy, what biblical joy is? Because you see, joy is not the same as happiness. Joy is often expressed in happiness. It often leads to happiness. But it is not the same. It is something much deeper. Consider Job's Job's words in Job 6. He said, if only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the sea. Oh, that God would be willing to crush me, to let loose his hand and cut off my life. Then I would still have this consolation, my joy in unrelenting pain that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. Yes, this is poetry, but I firmly believe that Job genuinely found joy in the thought that he did not deny God even in the midst of pain and anguish. Joy is more than a momentary emotion. It is a fruit of the Spirit. In his letter to Thessalonians, Paul wrote, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Joy in the midst of severe suffering. And this joy is what allowed them to endure. More than that, to run forward. Because you see, joy is faith's fuel. It is the energy with which we run the Christian race. The joy of the Lord is your strength, declared Nehemiah. And so you see, if you try and endure struggle and trial, if you try and run a race and you do not know the joy of the Lord in your heart, then it is going to be difficult because you're going to be running on empty, drained of strength. as is so often the case when I'm standing up here, I find that the first person I am preaching to is myself. At least I can see you here, so I know there are people also who can listen. This morning it was just a camera and there may not have been anyone. But even if there were nobody here, that would be okay because I know that this message is something I need to hear too. Not so much for me because I have one particular trial that I want to endure, that I need to endure, but more for the everyday Christian life. I don't know how you found your walk with God last year. My report card might read something like this. Prayer? Well, I pray when I need something. Reading the Bible? Does Ethan's Advent calendar count? Sharing the gospel? I did point one of my neighbors to the Christchurch Sermon links on YouTube, uh, they were already a Christian, but it was a start. Growing in the fruit of spirit, 
Well, after lockdown with two kids, I'm pretty sure I have less patience than I did at the start of the year. I've gone backwards on that one. What about resisting sin and living for God? Well, here and there, yes, but definitely not with all my strength, mind and soul. I don't know whether anyone else would feel similar. But here's the real point. It's not so much about ticking and crossing and grading yourself on that. Rather, it's when I realize, oh, I'm not living quite the way I want to. My reaction has been, ah, I need to do better. I must try harder. Or perhaps a slightly more biblical version, which would be, God, help me to try harder. But the Christian life is never about trying harder. And if you find yourself saying, I need to try, I need to do more, somehow I need to be better, then a better question is to ask, have I forgotten joy? Because you see, joy drives you. Even if times are tough, when your mind considers that just who Jesus is, how big, how powerful, how majestic and glorious our God is. And when your heart knows that that all-powerful God loves you and delights in you and wants to be with you, and when your soul realizes that it is washed clean and it can stand in the throne room of heaven blameless, and when those facts are not just cold and in your head, but when they combine to ignite that flame of joy within you, then how can you help do anything but pray? How can you do anything but read? You want to hear the word of the Lord. You want to talk about it. You want to spread it. You want to do all kinds of things that you would never believe you could have done because you just can't hold it back. You have this fire inside that drives you forward. Joy fuels faith and gives you the strength to endure. And so I conclude that if I find myself saying, I need to try harder, if I'm struggling to prioritize reading my Bible or give some area of my life over to God or stay faithful to God in the midst of a trial, then my response should be, I need more joy. We can see another picture of this in the verse as well. It's a picture that is used throughout the New Testament of running a race. I don't like running. I don't know about you or any runners here. Uh, my wife kind of likes running, and so in a rash moment, I promised as a Christmas present to go on a run with her. It is not something I am looking forward to. It is not something that is going to bring me joy. However, I believe there are strange people out there for whom running actually is joyful. Uh, if I think about this, the person who springs into my mind is from Chariots of Fire, Eric Liddell. He has this uh, quote which said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And when you watch Eric run, you can see how much joy he has. He runs with joy. No one has to force him to run. You can't stop him running. But that doesn't mean that when you run with joy, that it's not, you're not going to get tired. It doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. You still have moments where you have to grit your teeth and push through the pain as you hit the hopefully metaphorical wall. It still requires discipline and training and perseverance, but the will, 
the desire to run comes from the joy you find in it. And this is what the Christian race should be like. Yes, you need discipline, training, and perseverance. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 writes, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. And yes, it's going to be tiring and painful. There is no way around it. There's no magic wand to take that away. But we should still be running for joy, running with joy, fueled by joy. Joy is what makes you get up in the morning and think, I want to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean we have to be happy, bouncy people all the time. I'm so full of joy. You can be joyful with tears running down your face. It is the passion in you for Jesus that drives you forward despite the circumstances you find yourself in. And so I ask, do you have the joy of the Lord? Does it fill you right now or has it quietly ebbed away? Because you see, joy might be faith's fuel, but if you are not connected into the supply, then it quickly runs out. Think of the parable of the sower. The seed falling on rocky ground, said Jesus, refers to someone who hears the word at, at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, it only lasts a short time. And when trouble and persecution comes, they fall away. There is joy to start with, but they, without that root connection to Jesus, it is not enough and it just dissipates and they do not endure. And so verse two starts, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on the source of joy. Fix them and do not take them off. And that's so essential that is one of the number one enemy priorities is to distract you, to break your eye contact with Jesus. He will distract you with good things. Look at all these amazing things here, these alternate sources of joy. Look at them. He will distract you with bad things. Look at this pain. How can you possibly have joy when all of this is going on? He will try and make your faith boring, a faith of chores and rules where there couldn't be any joy. And the counter, today, tomorrow, every day this year, fix your eyes on Jesus. Remind yourself each day of who Jesus is, God most high, without whom nothing was made. Remind yourself of what Jesus has done, enduring that cross, the pain and the shame, writing your name into the book of salvation with his blood as the ink. Remind yourself of what Jesus will do, completing that work that he has started to present you holy and blameless for all eternity in heaven. And know that Jesus is in your present circumstances, no matter what they are, and look to him with expectation. Adrian has made this verse, Hebrews 12, 2, our verse of the year. And so I feel justified in telling you that whatever other resolutions you've made, put them all to one side and put this first. Seek joy this year. Seek the joy of the Lord. Seek the deep joy 
that will drive you forwards. That is found in Christ who fixed his eyes on us as we were his joy. So we fix our eyes on him for he is our joy. To give you that desire to run with love for God daily. It will fuel your faith to move mountains and endure whatever suffering life throws at you. And so my prayer for us this year is this. Jesus, we are amazed and humbled that you find joy in us. By your Holy Spirit, would you keep our eyes fixed on you and grow that same joy in us that we might be passionate runners for you who burn brightly even in the darkest night. And so, my friends, brothers and sisters, as I finish my final challenge for this year, seek joy. Joy.